From runasradio.com, you're listening to Run As Radio, the internet audio talk show for IT professionals with Richard Campbell. This is Brandon Wen announcing show number 255 with guest Tony Redmond, recorded Tuesday, February 13th, 2012. Run As Radio is produced each week by Pwop Productions, providing professional media and podcasting services online at pwop.com. You can follow the show on Twitter at twitter.com slash runasradio. Thank you, Brandon. This is Richard Campbell, and you're listening to Run As Radio. With me once again, my friend Tony Redmond. Uh, what can you say about Tony? Uh, formerly of HP, these days an independent, and the guy I go to when I have really strange exchange questions, because he seems to know the answers one way or the other. Welcome, Tony. Thanks, Richard. I don't quite know what to make of that introduction, <laughs> but I'll... I'll take it that it was complimentary. Absolutely, and and uh, well, I mean, we've we've been around enough times now. We we harbor no illusions. I think. Uh, what have you been focused on these days? Oh, that's a, that's an interesting question. Um, well, I guess uh, on on one end of things, I keep an eye out on uh, new developments in the exchange world. Clearly, Microsoft has got a new version coming, mm-hmm. so which we can't talk about because it's all under NDA, but. You know, there's some ramping up to be done there. But if I, and it, as hand, I'm not under the NDAs around exchange, I bet I can speculate more safely than you can. Oh, you how can speculate every, to your heart's concerned, but my, my tongue is tied. At I, least I it bet. will be tied if I say anything, so. Of course. I mean, I'm looking at everything else that Microsoft's doing on the service side and thinking, well, it's all headed cloud to one degree or another. So I got to hope that the next version of exchange is even more cloud savvy than 2010 is. I, well, I, I think you could just look at the public statements that have been made by people like uh, Kevin Alice, who's basically head of engineering for Exchange, mm-hmm. and he's been quite open about this in any of the conference sessions he's done in the last year or so, where he said, look, uh, 78 to 80% of our engineering effort right now is, is going towards the cloud. Right. And I think you can uh, take that in conjunction with other keynote speakers from Microsoft, such as Jared... Uh, Jeffrey Snover, who's been talking a lot about, is the chief architect for Windows uh, uh, Windows 8 server, mm-hmm. who's been talking an awful lot about the future of administration and how Microsoft is going to start prizing the cold, dead fingers of administrators away from keyboards to stop them logging onto computers, and how PowerShell is just radically changing the way everybody is thinking about administration. So you can put very public guidance that that's coming out from Microsoft executives such as that and you can say the next version of any Microsoft product be it the basic server or be it uh, products such as exchange that run on top of windows uh, are going to be hallmarked by being extremely cloud centric sure by being extremely automated or automatable if that is a word that you can use in this respect and uh, it's going to be requiring administrators to make a a mindset shift away from the uh, the old idea, and it is a really old idea. Let's face it: mm-hmm. that you have to log on to a computer to do things, and that you're working with one computer at a time, to a point where you think about working with computers as collections of objects. Yeah, groups of that services are ma- that are managed in one step. Yeah, you know, I think you see System Center moving clearly in that direction, too, that we start speaking of the service rather than of the, the particular server. Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah, and again, if you if you start looking at uh, it's uh, there's lots of clues what people are are, are talking about sure. and what Microsoft is saying publicly. If you even talk about how they, if, if you even listen to what they talk about when they talk about how they do Office 365 updates uh, for Exchange Online, mm-hmm. where they, they talk about taking machines out of a server pool, uh, taking machines out of a server pool, stripping them down to bare metal, and restamping them with uh, the updated uh, software. Uh, before they reintroduced the, the machines into the server pool again. So, again, you can think of, wow, that this is, this is really, you know, there's none of this classic stuff of let's try and up, update uh, software with service packs or bug fixes or anything. It's take out, uh, this is just an element of computing, uh, uh, strip it down, put it back in again, and off you go. But, you know, we've been heading that way on the, the hardware side as well, because if you look at the way blade server design and all of that has been going, you, you're, you're getting to, and if you indeed, if you look at other areas of computing, such as uh, games, uh, like, uh, what's it, Worlds of Warcraft, mm-hmm. uh, everybody is doing this kind of strip, replace, put in computing pools, uh, be it uh, CPU, be it uh, uh, memory, be it disk. And, and that's just the way the game is going. So, you know, the new, the new version of uh, products such as Exchange, they, they they have to play in this world. They have to respect what's happening around it, and 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 they will be creatures of that environment. What do you make of this latest round of announcements around yet another spam fighting initiative, DMARC? Well, so this to to me, it's a, an improvement over SPF, right? So SPF has been out there for quite a while. In yeah. fact, there's two, there's two, if you like, contributing factors here that, that come from people that have brought various uh, anti-spam protocols or anti-spam protection devices or mechanisms, whatever you call it, to call it to the table. You had this thing called DKIM, which is uh, domain keys and, uh, and an identified uh, internet mail specification from Cisco. Mm-hmm. And, and then you had this thing called SPF, which came out from Microsoft, and indeed that was built in another piece of technology that had come out earlier. Essentially, what this is, what what all of these things are trying to do is to say, to is to give a receiver, somebody who is taking an uh, a stream of messages in from the internet, is to give the receiver a way of saying what's good mail, and what's stuff that I really don't want to take. Hmm. And good mail is is like mail you you get from. Uh, the U.S. Postal Service or some other government agency that's got a good stamp on it. You look at it, you can verify it. You say, that's a well-known thing. I know how to deal with this. Yes, I'm willing to accept it. Versus the junk mail that arrives in through your letterbox advertising the latest peace offering. So that's all it is. Now, if you look at SPF, I think was much more successful in my experience mm-hmm. than the uh, than DKIM. However, it's still it's still good to have everybody slowly coming onto the same page. I think one of the reasons why SPF was more successful was that it, it leveraged the use of DNS. And uh, and that's a good thing because you can put stuff in DNS, and once you put stuff in DNS, it's available everywhere. Well, plus, DNS has already got its own set of security protocols. Like DNS quality itself is trying to be improved and more secure as well. It yeah, seems to yeah, me like SPF leverages off the, of that. Uh, SPF leverages DNS. It, lever- mm-hmm. it leverages the ubiquity of DNS 
to say, right, I am going to put records in here that will allow you to say, okay, these servers are entitled to send mail on behalf of my domain. So therefore, if you get email from my domain and the originating server is one of these guys that are on these lists, which are contained in the DNS records, happiness and light. Right. And I thought that was a very intelligent way of doing things because, as I said earlier, it leverages that ubiquity that DNS occupies as a core element of the Internet. And what I like in DMARC is that I like that they have taken this same notion of DNS ubiquity and they have leveraged it by adding extra functionality because now you're giving uh, the receivers the ability to publish back, if you will, to the senders some information about how they are consuming email coming. Mm -hmm. So if mail comes out of Microsoft.com or it comes out from ABC.com or something, and it comes to me, and I'm having problems dealing with it for some reason or another, I can go back to Microsoft in an automated way and say, you know what, too many of your messages are being are being rejected, and here's why. And that, I think, uh, really, if you think of it, SPF, it's a, it's a one-way communication. Now we've got two-way two communication between sender and receiver, and that, that's that's a good thing. I think that is a very, very good thing. And, and in the end, all SPF is really trying to do is let you know that the domain name uh, in the email is actually the domain that sent the email. The, yeah. the only question then is, you know, is this being enforced? Are you refusing mail that doesn't have those confirmations? Well, I, I think the decision, no, I think there's a couple of uh, earlier decisions. First decision is, are you, should you get into this whole game? Right. And, and three years ago, hardly anybody was in it. Mm -hmm. Now, if you look at most of the major companies out there are publishing SPF records. Right. So I think SPF has, has, has actually taken hold. And and again, one of the reasons why is not only is DNS ubiquitous, but it's also reasonably easy once you understand the somewhat torturous syntax. But that's a matter of cut and paste out of manuals or your favorite web, web search engine. I mean, you're, you're just talking about adding a couple of DNS records. Text, it's a text record. Yeah. Yeah, so so it's easy. And that's that's helped uh, uh, SPF. And again, DMARC is taking some of the same type of stuff up. You know, again, we're just dealing with text records, except the text records have a little bit more detail and a little bit more, more instructions, if you will. And and so I would anticipate that this will uh, enable um, companies to pick this up quite quickly. And you know what? If I was a, uh, if I was running email for a major organization, mm -hmm. if I was the guy that was responsible for making sure that all the messages from my domain were accepted. Uh, the word. I wouldn't hesitate now. I'd be I'd be publishing these records because I think it's a good thing. So, what's the real relationship between DMARC and SPF? Excuse me. What's the relationship? Yeah. Well, they're just two type two types of records that are in DNS. You can have both. Okay. So you can have SPF in there for, uh, let's say that the the the, the mail servers that don't understand anything else, mm -hmm. uh, and then you DMARC future proofs you. You know. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a, that's a good thing. So it's just an extending of the specification, essentially. Yeah. It, it does seem like they're complementary. In some ways, it reads to me like DMARC just standardizes how you use SPF and DKIM. Well, it 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 takes a certain amount of the good ideas from both, mm -hmm. but it uh, to me, it's leveraging most of the the whole ubiquity thing for DNS and and text based records to which 
which have got an expanded command set and expanded instruction set to allow you to to tell uh, or to as I say to pass back to the sender some some feedback about what's actually happened to the mail when it's getting out. So, if, you know, my my lovely uh, ladies dot com or dot xxx, if they even care, yeah, they could. I, I could I could have. Uh, uh, they could publish a record to say, you know what, we'd like to know what happens when when you uh, when you receive our mail. Uh, you know, if, if if my mail domain doesn't care to receive anything from lovelyladies.xxx, it can just I it could just send it back uh, a report saying, you know what, we're not we don't want any of this stuff. Yeah, none of this is actually going to land. You can save your effort. Yeah, save your record. But will this stop spam? Absolutely not. No, absolutely not. It's another um, assistance, if you will. Yeah, and where this line gets blurry is a company like Microsoft, where you've got regular users, employees of Microsoft sending emails to individuals, but you've also got mailing lists coming out of Microsoft for their evangelism effort, for certain product efforts and so forth, that could get caught up in spam, but they never really know if it does or not. Yeah, that's that's fair. Yeah, and, and you know, there are, there are always going to be edge cases. Sure. So, but I, I think um, the major, the major reason why we have this type of stuff out there is to add some intelligence to the network. Well, and like you said, some feedback. The idea, I mean, let's face it, Microsoft pull, it, its internal policies are pretty clear about not spamming its customers. But if a certain enthusiastic employee goes off and uses tools inappropriately, the fact that this is clearly going to get reported back through systems is uh, pretty compelling. Yeah, and and to be fair, I think we're also seeing uh, on the client side some help to pe- to people to stop doing that kind of stuff. Right. Mail tips, which is part of Exchange 2010 and Outlook 2010, Outlook Web App, that will uh, a flag a message if an employee tries to send it a fi- uh, distribution list containing, uh, you know, maybe fifty thousand uh, addresses and say you're, it doesn't quite say listen stupid don't do that. Right. It does it much more politely, but you know that, that's it. Collectively, all these little steps help email behavior. Now, the question is, as I said earlier, will it stop spam? I don't believe so, but I think gradually it's be it, it's becoming more and more difficult for spammers to get through. And you know, another thing, of course, that 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 that's on the horizon here is that as more companies go over to um, these massive cloud email services, mm-hmm. much more of the intercompany messaging is going to take take place within uh, a closed wall. Right. So none of that mail is going to be really, uh, you know, that that's that's all going to pass spam checks. I mean, if I've got a small company running an Office three six five sending mail to another small company in Office three six five, hey, that's that's all within the one big. Uh, uh, boundary. Yeah, there's a whole lot of implied authentication there. Correct, correct. And I think, you know, going back to the discussion we we had earlier, where you, you look at the in engineering investment that's happening around cloud mm-hmm. uh, in in the products like Exchange, you, you could probably say that, oh, you know, and and making hazarding a guess is always difficult in this type of thing. But I'll hazard a guess here. I'd say in five years' time. You could have anything between a third and a half of today's on-premises exchange 
in the cloud. Sure. So that immediately takes what let's and again the numbers that you you get here report. But let's say there's 250 million uh, mailboxes on use uh, using Exchange today. That would say there'd be 125 million of those on Office 365, right. all talking to each other. And yeah, just simplifying the mail load dramatically because you automatically have got a certain level of quality coming from mail within the wall. Right, and then you then you think, well, Office 365 will trust Gmail. Mm-hmm. Gmail will trust Office 365, and now you've got another huge proportion of email that uh, is almost automatically trusted. Yep. Then you'd say that, well, look at the companies that are going to be left running their own on-premises email systems, and I'd hazard a guess and say, well, they, those guys are going to be the big fellas. You know, companies that have a real reason for keeping on uh, email on-premises. They have the technical staff that they... Uh, can devote to running it, and those technical staff, the technical staff is going to take care of things like SPF records now and DMARC records maybe uh, in, a, in a little while. So again, that, that to me is going to drive up the overall percentage of authenticated email that's floating around the network. So what's left after that? Well, you, you are going to have uh, some smaller companies that perhaps just keep on running along as they have in the past. You'll have some other larger companies that may, for one reason or another, not care to to input these records, and then you'll have spammers. Yeah. So those guys are are not going to stay uh, static uh, because if they do, their business model will go away and they'll disappear. And I guess they're making too much money to to want to to do that. So they'll find some way, some other way to attack. We don't know yet. Well. Some people may know pretty well the vectors that they're going to come in, but it's not in general practice yet, but they'll find some other way. But the good thing, I think, is that we are consolidating in the email industry around some fairly big centers of, of mail authentication, of uh, of trust. And I, and I think it's going to that that single fact, that drive towards the cloud and the, the division up between the cloud-based systems and the, the big guys that, that the run on premises is going to make it harder and harder. This section of Run As Radio is sponsored by Secret Server, the password management software for IT admins. Secret Server helps you manage local admin passwords and service accounts the right way. Get your free 30-day trial for Secret Server at runasradio.com slash secret server. If you just gather up Office 365, Gmail, Yahoo Mail, Hotmail, like you've got such a large portion of email already handled. Oh, yeah, there's half a billion straight away. Sure. You know, the stalking horse in this is Facebook, just because that's its own walled garden with its own set uh, of rules around how it sends mail between people. Yeah, but uh, yeah, but Facebook can't survive as an island in its own right. Sure. So again, it's going to me. It's just going to be an, another one of the the boundaries of trusted email. So mail that comes from Facebook will be stamped in some way. It right. will be will be respected by Office three six five, by Gmail, by Yahoo, by by any of the big players. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that will be a good thing as well. And they have jumped on board this old DMARC spec early on as well, which is a good sign. As, as have America Online. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you are talking about, it's amazing how they've survived, huh? The twists and turns that they still have own an awful lot of mailboxes. 
Yeah. Well, you know, a mailbox becomes a very individual thing for a consumer. Sure. And they, and they are all consumers. They're all uh, personal mailboxes. Really, I, I don't think there's many businesses using it. I mean, there could be a couple of small businesses. There's some small, some percentage of small businesses that are still using AOL accounts, but I don't believe that most of the other, most of the ones that were using them have moved on to greater and better things. And it's an interesting dynamic to see companies that also have innumerable patent lawsuits going on between each other also collaborating o- over a different problem. Yeah, but again, not very surprising. I think um, that the history of the tech industry has always worked in this fashion. And so far as companies set out their stall to try and uh, win in areas of new technology, in new markets, and if you look at most of the patent wars that are going on today, those patent wars are, are going on in areas like uh, mobile devices. They're going in, in terms of uh, industrial engineering. Right. They're in terms of things like user interface. So they're, they're areas where companies believe that they can still make a big difference. For the rest of the industry, mm-hmm. it's largely covered by uh, either uh, agreed protocols, such as uh, RFCs, our industry consortium, our you've got a huge these huge patent cross licensing agreements that are that are made between the technology giants, which essentially says, you know, one technology giant, I've got a, a patent a portfolio of fifteen thousand patents. I'll let you have uh, use of any of the technology in those patents if you let me have use of the technology. In, in your path. Yeah, rather than us trying to figure out who owns what, let's just agree that we're going to use each other's stuff. Right, and, and that works really, really well, because if you go and you take a patent portfolio of any large tech company, they'll all tell you there's only 1%, 2% that are really, really critical in that patent portfolio. Those are the ones that give them a lock over a market that gives them the, the unique competitive advantage that they can screw their competitors over or they can charge large licensing fees. Right. Then you've got maybe another 8%, which are interesting in some way, that they might just be the foundation of some uh, useful, productive activity if they were developed a little bit further, or if technology evolved uh, just one step more, or a new material came to light or whatever. But the vast bulk of corporate patent portfolios in the IT industry are either outdated now, Yep are just simply dead ends. Mm-hmm. I'm very familiar with the HP patent portfolio. Sure. Because I was uh, having to manage it for 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 many years. And, and there are tons of patents there about things like um, uh, disk controllers for floppy disks. Right. Yeah. Now, okay, it's great to have them, uh, and they were a fantastic engineering achievement at the time. How valuable are they? Yeah, absolutely so zero. <laughs> Things have moved on. And, and to be fair, most of the large tech companies do prune their patent portfolios on a very regular basis to try and get, get rid of it. But that still comes back. You know, you are always going to have fights uh, at the margins of new markets. Right. And for the rest of it, it's, uh, you know, everybody is so mature and they will work together to come up with, um, with, with, uh, things that make sense. That's not to say, that the folks that are on these different standards bodies don't go into them with agendas and they don't attempt to create advantage for their own companies. But generally, the right thing is done eventually, even though 
you know, as we're seeing here, it may take a couple of iterations of different uh, ideas, uh, different starts, different attacks on a problem before we come up with something where, which gives us a fully rounded uh, solution rather than a partial solution. Well, and I, I worry that, I mean, I've got teenage daughters. I know you've got kids as well. Like, they just don't use email. They they don't need to, they don't want to deal with it. They they, they go communicate a different way. And I, I wonder if this is a technology that's almost, we're trying, we're saving something that doesn't really seem to matter anymore. Uh, well, yeah, but again, um, you know, there have been many different ways that teenagers and, and young people have communicated that have not survived. Um, right. Bebo is a very good example. Mm-hmm. Uh, MySpace, very good example of that. And, and you know, one of the things that you look at is Facebook IPO coming up and saying, geez, is this going to, are they going to stay successful? Can a company that has got so much revenue locked into games and, and with a contract that's going to expire in a relatively short, uh, future, you know, is this, is this going to succeed? I don't know. And I'm not a stock tipster, so I'm not going to give any sort of advice on that. Gosh knows I've got most of the stock tips I ever gave wrong in the past. But I, I, in my heart, I don't believe that a closed environment like Facebook is going to be the long-term communications vehicle for the world. Sure. I really don't. I think, yeah, it could be that Facebook becomes the long-term communications vehicle for that replaces all the consumer-based emails that we have today. You know, like the hot mails, like Yahoo mails, mm-hmm. uh, like the consumer side of Gmail. Though Google will do its absolute very best to stop that happening. But it may be. That, I suspect, is, is its natural hunting ground. Yeah. And with, with greater integration on things like mobile devices, I'm sure Facebook will do an excellent job of maintaining and holding its, its current uh, user base. The only thing that could really screw them up, I think, is if they have a phenomenal security breach, which, you know, a whole pile of personal data really is spread everywhere, yeah. and they find it difficult to recover. But on the business side, business is business, and Facebook is Facebook. Right, true enough. And I also think that Microsoft's done a great job of making exchange with OCS slash Link become so much more than just the mailbox. Yeah. Yeah, oh, ab- absolutely. And, and as long as progress can be made, as long as clients become more intelligent, as long as email continues to work well on new devices, and, you know, the latest, the device du jour is Windows Phone and iPhone and Android. We don't know what it's going to be in five years' time. Sure. And given the amount of technology development that's happened over the last five years, gosh, who knows what we're going to but as long as email maintains that development and proves its capability of getting a job done, then businesses will continue to use it. Remember, businesses only use tools that are worthwhile. Right. Once the, once the tool becomes doubtful or doesn't demonstrate a business value, value is going to be dropped. And, and that's Facebook's problem. What, what's the business value to a business? Apart from putting up a, 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 a Facebook page so everybody can like you know, Joe's, Joe's auto shop. At the same time, I think email has really struggled in the business that to the point, you know, they've got the Yogi Berra and nobody goes there anymore. It's too busy. Inboxes are completely full. You know, that total madness that businesses get into with email. 
Well, that's true. That that is true. But again, I think that's where client innovation will help. Mm-hmm. And client innovation, we we will be in the area of things like um, really intelligent uh, email, uh, email that understands what you're trying to do with with the, and the way you structure your business. We tried to do this a long, long time ago in the era when artificial intelligence was uh, the you know the, the the thing that everybody wanted to do. It was on the it was in the VAX days, VAX eleven, right? Or VAX BMS, right? And we had a, a programming language there called Lisp, and we had uh, a uh, an office automation product called All in One. We put the two of them together, and we said, okay. Let's create a thing called, we call it the mail filter. This is going back 1988, 1989. Mm-hmm. And we, we gave the people, people the ability to train all in one using this list program. So the email coming in would be automatically taken care of for the user. Now, you know what? I look at the rules engines that we have today and, and yeah, they're prettier. They're a little bit more functional, but it's essentially the same thing that we did in 1988. Sure. And and the same kind of thinking around stuff like Bayesian filters and so forth, just trying to get a sense of is this real, is this fake, you know, what what yeah. where should this go? Yeah, and 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 they are you, you see little glimmers of hope where uh, in things like Outlook two thousand ten's Quick Steps, mm-hmm. where it's okay. I understand that this is a, a good prototype of a message for me to learn from. Mm-hmm. But I think it's got to become a lot more seamless than that. It's got to be a thing that the email client automatically does on your behalf. And there is enough CPU yeah. available on any desktop or any laptop today to have hugely intelligent uh, monitoring uh, and analysis going on in the background to figure out what you want, what how an agent, how uh, a client could help you with you process your email. Just watching how you process your email day in, day out, right? right. If, if there's a particular email that comes in, you simply delete every single time it comes in. The, the mail client ought to pick up on that. Or if every yeah, email from your indeed. boss tends to be sorted a particular way, like, these are all things it could be doing for you. Yep. And that's the kind of innovation that I hope will come about mm-hmm. in, the major, in the major league clients that we have. Uh, because I think that is a way of keeping on top of data. You must remember when we were doing the mail filter 24 years ago, mm-hmm. uh, a, a busy corporate mailbox got 30 messages a day. Sure. Yeah. And now it's 10 times, maybe 12 times more. Yeah. So <laughs> instead of stealing all those expensive VAX VMS, uh, cycles, and they were really expensive, uh, you know, we should be using all these underused boxes that are, that, that are, that are installed everywhere. That's the way I would approach it. But hey, I don't write that code anymore. We've got so much more horsepower now, and it's mostly doing nothing. Yes, yes, yes. So that's the way I, that, I you know, in essence, that's the way I would go if, if I had any sort of influence. And I think as long as you see innovation coming through an email, and as long as people, again, see value, and especially the businesses see value so that they either cough up the money per month to pay for a cloud service, are there pay for all the uh, hardware and the people and the software and the ecosystem cost uh, to keep their on-premises mm-hmm. going? As long as those conditions exist, email isn't going to die. But once it stops evolving, once it stops adding uh, value, and once it stops uh, taking notice 
of the way people deal with information on a day-to-day basis, like on mobile devices today, then it'll start dying pretty quick. Absolutely. Tony, thanks so much for talking to me today. Okay, Richard. Good talking to you again. And we'll talk to you next week on Run As Radio.